Before we read it, let's be reminded of of a context that will help us to better appreciate what we're about to read. And the context is, um, a good context for us to go back to is to go back to the beginning and to remember that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we remember um, from that text that God made everything from nothing and that everything that God made was good and we remember that Adam and Eve were righteous, they were perfect, they had pure communion with God, and this was in the beginning and it was all very good. And it's good for us to contemplate uh, the goodness of that when we, when we think that Adam and Eve were alive with no corruption, they were alive with no decay, They were alive with no unhappiness. But when Adam sinned, he and Eve became instantly and completely defiled. And their defilement was not just in some of the faculties and parts, but it was in all of the faculties and parts of their souls as well as their bodies. So... Consider that movement from everything being good, everything was right, everything was pure, everything was strong, everything was good, to this condition that Adam and Eve fell into where all of the functionings and all of the parts of their souls as well as their bodies became completely defiled. And of course this this effect was not just upon them, but it, it, it came upon all of creation. All of creation, it was good, it was strong. And these things that God had made became subject to futility. That's a point that Paul makes in Romans. What was, what was pure became twisted. What was strong became weak. And so to, so to speak, creation's knees were broken and creation was forced to be subjected to futility. It was All of creation was forced to submit to weakness and to decay. And so this is the world that we're born in. Um, this is the world that we come into. It's a world of physical and spiritual death. And what's important for us to, to remember is that even if we have been regenerated and we can be called new creatures in Christ... Yet, the corruption of our bodies and souls remains. Uh, We remain in this condition, this estate of weakness and decay and futility. This is the world that we're born in. This is the condition that we're born in. This corruption of nature in our body and our soul remains with us. And of course it remains along with all of the attending grief and all of the attending pain and all of the attending disappointment and all of the attending sorrow and difficulty. We have this, um, even as new creatures in Christ, we have this progressive conformity in our souls to the image of Christ, yet uh, as we know all too well, and as we get older, we know it all the more well, we have this decay that remains with us in our bodies so that... Um, even if we could live for 930 years like Adam, 
at the end of it, we would still say how brief it all was, and then our bodies die and return to dust. So that's, that's the world that we're born in, but God has appointed a day of judgment wherein he will, uh, through Christ, judge the world in righteousness, and everyone will appear before Christ to receive either the punishment for their sin or to appear before Christ and to receive the full reward in light of that very judge being the Savior that they put their trust in. So, with that context, let's listen to Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, or crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Okay, well, if we were to pick a word to describe what we've just read, we're not going to pick the word refurbishment. We're not going to use that word. Because what we have read of here is a remaking. We are, what we've read here is not God brushing the dust off the old and applying some polish to the old. This is what we've just read. It's not like my old pair of work boots and occasionally I wash them off and I apply fresh boot oil. And for a while they look better, but underneath they're still decaying. It's still, it's still the old underneath all of that work, but that's not what John is describing. It's not, it's not a refurbishment. It's not a rehabilitation of the old. Um, the end, of, the end of all things is not like that. It's going to be, it would be more like me taking the old boots and burning them and replacing them with a completely new pair that would never decay. That's what we're reading of here. So it's not the old refurbished, but it is new. And we notice that we are instructed in this text that at the center of this new heaven and new earth is not a new, but temporary, movable, flappable tent. 
It's not, a, it's not a new tent. Notice what we have here at the very center of the new heaven and the new earth is a new permanent immovable city. And do you, do you notice where it comes from? This, per, this, this not, not a temporary tent, but a permanent city, we notice that it's not reconstituted from the debris of the old earth. You notice that? This new city doesn't, it's not like cities of this earth as we know them now that can be that can rise from the ashes of some old city. It's not like that at all. It doesn't rise from the burned up earth, but it descends from heaven. Do you notice that? And it's made by God. It's not made from anything old. It is made by God from things new. It is made by God from things that have never been impure. This is a city made from things that have never been corrupted and made from things that have never been weak. And we notice that John says that this is, a, this is called a dwelling place. And don't move too quickly past that because I want you to understand that we don't have any experience of this in this life. We don't know what this means. This is not our experience to have, to have something that's abiding. And that's what John is describing what we know in this life is the experience of things that are brief and the, the experience of things that are weak and the things that are passing. That is what we know in this life. We don't have anything that abides. There's no possession we have. There's no place that we live. But we notice this important description. This city comes out of heaven. It is from God. And it is described as a place for remaining. There's this glorious permanence that shines from this city. It's a place that's designed for habitation. We notice it's a place that's made fit for life where all of the redeemed will live and where they will abide with God and God will abide or remain with them. It's where God says, it's not just that they are mine, but he says, I am theirs. Words spoken to people who in this life were disowned. Right? Words spoken to people who in this life were the unincluded. Words spoken to people who in this life were the reviled because of their profession of faith in Christ. They were the disowned. They were the persecuted. And we notice that God says here in this place, I am theirs and they are mine. These, this is a place um, where God identifies them as his included, his loved, his welcome, his owned. He owns us. And he, and he, and he publicly proclaims this. So consider that with great joy if your faith is in Christ. We notice this place of habitation is from heaven. It comes to earth and it serves to describe this unity between heaven and earth. We have perfect peace here between God and those who are welcomed into this city. It is from heaven. It descends. This is a place of habitation perfect peace, unity. So in the beginning there was a pure communion and it was lost. 
And here we have a pure communion restored. No decay. It won't change. It won't fall apart. It won't rot. It's not fallible. It's not going to pass away. It will remain. God will remain with his people and his people will remain with him in, in perfect peace. You'll notice that we're also instructed in this passage that the former things have passed away. Have you ever thought about what that, what that is and what that means? Well, futility will be a former thing. And I hope that that's an encouragement to your heart today. Futility will be a former thing. Weakness will be a former thing. The pain, the crying, the weeping, the grieving, those will be former things in this city. The progressive decay in our bodies, that will be a former thing. The overtaking of the dust, that's a former thing in this city. The war between the flesh and the spirit, that'll be a former thing. It'll be gone. Wretchedness will be gone. Pain in body and soul. I would say the word banished, but that, would, that might imply that, that it still exists and it's just placed over here somewhere else. It will be non-existent for the redeemed. Listen to this description from Isaiah 51. And allow, as you hear this description, allow yourself, as a believer in the Lord, allow yourself to be drawn into this description that Isaiah gives. This is from 51 verse 11. He says, So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sign shall flee away. So think about, think about what is ahead of you in Christ. When you walk through the gates of this city. And joy and gladness and relief will sweep over you like a flood. What can we say to describe that, that measure and that depth of joy and gladness and relief as you see then that all the promises have been kept and not one failed, failed to be brought to pass. Joy and gladness will be like a flood over you and this joy and gladness will not be a mere dressing on you. It will not be a mere ornament but it will be an essential part of your glorified nature. Consider. For now we know joy. It's fleeting. It's weak. It's, sometimes it's here. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's not. It's weak. Things come upon us. And, but to have joy, to have gladness as a part of who we are, not as a mere ornament, consider, the, consider this day that is ahead of you. It will be the glorified you to know and to feel nothing but joy and gladness. Consider this. Isaiah 65, we're going to read this in a moment, but again in the worship service, but listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 65. He says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be gladness. 
And then the Lord says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. So when you think of the joy and the gladness of the new Jerusalem, this is not just the joy of God's people. It's not just the gladness of the Lord's people. It's the joy and the gladness of the Lord himself. The Lord himself says, I will rejoice. The Lord says, I will be glad. And we will be brought into that. The Lord says, no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. We have this language of permanence. The former things are gone away, Isaiah is describing. And remember that one of those former things is this, 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 this element of everything being temporary in this life and passing and returning to dust. This is all the former things. So now this building of houses, we will inhabit them and they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. You hear the, this is the anti-Ecclesiastes message. The futility is gone. Weakness, gone. Frustration, gone. Sin, gone. With all of its attending pain and frustrations and disappointment and grieving and crying, it's all gone. Isaiah continues, or the Lord through Isaiah continues, he says, They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. You hear this, the purity and the glory of this communion with our God. And this is all then declared, you notice in our text, by him who is the Alpha and the Omega. Oh, precious words that are spoken to us here to, to give us assurance that, um, that w- the things that you're hearing here, the things that are promised to you, are spoken by him who is the sovereign beginning of all things and by him who is the sovereign end of all things. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and you have no reason to doubt that he actually did that. Therefore, With what confidence should you believe that in the end God will destroy everything and he will remake the heavens and the earth? Is he not the Alpha and the Omega? Did he not bring all the things that we know? Did he not bring them into being? Did he not speak them with the power of his word? He is not only the Alpha, the sovereign beginning of all things, but he is the Omega. He is the sovereign ending of all things. Therefore, with what confidence ought you to listen to the descriptions that we've considered today? Did he not bring all things into being? Will he not bring all things to their appropriate end? And you'll notice finally then this this description here, these promises are given for the conquerors. And the conquerors are those who eagerly waited for all of these things with hope. 
The overcomers in the book of Revelation are those who wait for these things with perseverance. And that, this is one of the reasons why you're given a text like this, is for the strengthening of your endurance. Through all of the crying that we know now and the, the distress and the persecution and the pain. This sets, this sets your perspective forward. This sets your hope forward upon things that you can't see yet, but that are assured to you. The overcomers who will walk through the gates of this city will be those who were not dissuaded in this life. Were they weak? Yes. Were, did they have many struggles? Yes. But ultimately, they are those who were not dissuaded and they were not turned back by whatever else that, that, that it is that they faced in this life. The conquerors are not those who avoided difficulty. The conquerors are not those who avoided persecution. But they are those who in this life were not dissuaded from enduring and following and obeying Christ because of all of the pressures of tribulation. They, in, they endured with Christ. This is, this is the conqueror. This is the overcomer. But as we go to pray, you'll notice that this is not for unbelievers. And if you have, for whatever reason, I, I, I'm not going to presume to know all the reasons, but if you've not put your faith in Christ, if for whatever the reason is, you have resisted, if you go to your grave resisting, then you will miss out on all of this. The inheritance that we have described today is for those who have put their faith in Christ. That's their portion. That's their inheritance. But the portion for those who refuse to give themselves to Christ in repentance and faith, their portion, their inheritance will be the lake of fire. So to whatever degree we could think of the joy of the New Jerusalem and the gladness of the New Jerusalem, I think we could say to the same infinite degree we would speak of the lack of joy and we could speak of the grief and the torment and the pain and the anguish for those who are assigned to the lake of fire. But if you're still breathing, and I assume that you're breathing if you're here listening, then why, why not today? Why not today be the day of repentance? Why not today be the day that you call upon the Lord and seek Him for His mercy? What a merciful Lord we have read of today.